Welcome back, my fellow creatives. Jean Lee here, ready to talk to my fellow picky readers and working writers here at Story Cuppings. I am excited to take a special sip with you from a story that, oh, it's well, well known. <laughs> you saw the thumbnail. Uh, and you may be wondering, well, hang on, everybody knows about The Hobbit. Why are we reading from The Hobbit? It's not like I don't know whether or not I'm going to like The Hobbit. I mean, and that's the thing for many, it's either they love that type of fantasy or they don't. Well, considering it's weird and wonder, you know, the month of the fantastic where we celebrate fantasy fiction, uh, and considering last week, when I was taking a sip from the Midnight Bargain, and I was having a few quibbles, as it were, with the exposition in the opening, I decided, you know, when has it worked to have that kind of exposition in the beginning? And I recalled a post I wrote on my website, Jean Lee's World, a while back, when I was looking at world building in The Hobbit versus a movie that had come out at the time, uh, Robin Hood. Don't see that movie. Anyway, I will provide a link to that post with my, in my, the caption for this podcast here. And I remember really enjoying looking at the world building of The Hobbit. And I realize now, it's like, I would like to sip from this story today to see why the exposition in the opening of The Hobbit works, at least for me compared to it may not work for others, or, you know, it did not work, uh, or, you know, the Midnight Bargain did not work for me, and yet it, the, the Hobbit, it does. And I want to see why, why was that? And again, I appreciate that we all have our own tastes, and some people are not keen on reading The Hobbit, and I'm not going to put anyone down for their reading tastes. We all have those kinds of flavors and um, tones that we each enjoy for our own reasons. But I do think there is a special lesson to be learned in reading The Hobbit, not just because of uh, the world building I had mentioned in my blog, but there is a very special lesson to be learned about voice in The Hobbit that I think all writers can appreciate and even picky readers can respect too, even if they don't care for the, shall we say, the, the meandering pace of The Hobbit. So let me start at the beginning. Let's look at the first chapter. And this is also a long first chapter. We're looking, it's about 30 packed pages here. And we're just gonna pull a few parts out and Hopefully from these parts, you will see why, whether you like to sit and read The Whole Hobbit or not, there is definitely a power to the prose here. So let's start with the first page. In a hole in the ground, there lived a hobbit. Not a nasty, dirty, wet hole filled with ends of worms and an oozy smell, nor yet a dry, bare, sandy hole with nothing in it to sit down on or to eat. It was a hobbit hole, and that means comfort. It had a perfectly round door like a porthole painted green with a shiny yellow brass knob in the exact middle. 
The door opened on to a tube-shaped hall like a tunnel, a very comfortable tunnel without smoke, with paneled walls, and floors tiled and carpeted, provided with polished chairs and lots and lots of pegs for hats and coats. The hobbit was fond of visitors. The tunnel wound on and on, going fairly but not quite straight into the side of the hill. The hill, as all the people for many miles round called it, and many little round doors opened out of it, first on one side and then on another. No going upstairs for the hobbit. Bedrooms, bathrooms, cellars, pantries, lots of these. Wardrobes, he had whole rooms devoted to clothes. Kitchens, dining rooms, all were on the same floor, and indeed on the same passage. The best rooms were all on the left-hand side, going in, for these were the only ones to have windows, deep-set round windows looking over his garden, and meadows beyond sloping down to the river. This hobbit was a very well-to-do hobbit, and his name was Baggins. The Bagginses had lived in the neighborhood of the hill for quite for time out of mind, and people considered them very respectable, not only because most of them were rich, but also because they never had any adventures or did anything unexpected. You could tell what a Baggins would say on any question without the bother of asking him. This is a story of how a Baggins had an adventure and found himself doing and saying things altogether unexpected. He may have lost the neighbor's respect, but he gained, well, you will see whether he gained anything in the end. Now, that was just a smidge over the first page. And as you can see from the style of the prose, first of all, extremely descriptive, extremely descriptive. We are able to picture this hobbit dwelling. We don't necessarily know how the character himself looks yet, but we already know this is a character that loves to dress, that loves to cook, that lives in a place like, like we do, like we love our comfortable home, only his home happens to be a tunnel in a hill. <laughs> that's a little different. Uh, that's what the opening line right off the bat, the fact that a hobbit hole means comfort. And just the some of the word choices in here, too. The oozy smell, ends of worms, you know, and, and mentioning that there's lots of pantries <laughs> and whole rooms devoted to clothes. We here, many of us understand that Tolkien wrote this story to share with children. And you can hear that in the word choices of these paragraphs in this very first page. We can very much picture a grandfather, father, uncle, or just an older adult passing, saying all these lines to children to keep them engrossed, to help them imagine. And this right off the bat, this is a part of what I find unique here compared to something the Midnight Bargain was doing. The narrator is like a character. Now, this is not saying that first person storytelling, like the Midnight Bargain, that we can't have the character 
sharing thoughts or explaining things. That's, that's not fair. I am not saying that. But what makes this situation a little more unique is that the narrator does clearly have a presence and wants to tell us things that don't always relate to the story. For an example, I'm actually going to jump a little bit further ahead into the chapter, um, where the dwarves have arrived, the, the unexpected party of dwarves have arrived, and uh, they have been eating, and Bilbo is all out of sorts, <laughs> for of course he is, but this is very all, this is all very unexpected. And the narrator uh, is going to let us know about a couple different characters here. Well, not, well, one is Bilbo, but also one is the leader of the dwarves, Thorin. So first we're going to hear what Thorin is going to say. Gandalf, dwarves, and Mr. Baggins, we are met together in the house of our friend and fellow conspirator, this most excellent and audacious hobbit. May the hair on his no toes never fall out, all praise to his wine and ale. He paused for breath and for a polite remark from the hobbit, but the compliments were quite lost on poor Bilbo Baggins, who was wagging his mouth in protest at being called audacious. And worst of all, fellow conspirator. Though no noise came out, he was so flummoxed. So Thorn went on. We are met to discuss our plans, our ways, means, policy, and devices. We shall soon, before the break of day, start on our long journey, a journey from which some of us, or perhaps all of us, except our friend and counselor, the ingenious wizard Gandalf, may never return. It is a solemn moment. Our object is, I take it, well known to us all, to the estimable, uh, the estim I can't speak, I'm sorry. <sighs> the estimable, I, no, I'm not even saying that right. I'm going to keep going, though. This is raw here, folks. Okay, Mr. Baggins, and perhaps to one or two of the younger dwarves, I think I should be right in naming Feeling Keeley, for instance, the exact situation at the moment may require a little brief explanation. This was Thorin's style. He was an important dwarf. If he had been allowed, he would have probably gone on like this until he was out of breath, without telling anyone there anything that was not known already. But he was rudely interrupted. Poor Bilbo couldn't bear it any longer. At May Never Return, he began to feel a shriek coming up inside, and very soon it burst out like the whistle of an engine coming out of a tunnel. All the dwarves sprang up, knocking over the table. Gandalf struck a blue light in the end of his magic staff, and in its firework glare, the poor little hobbit could be seen kneeling on the hearthrug, shaking like a jelly that was melting. Then he fell flat on the floor and kept on calling out, Struck by lightning! Struck by lightning! over and over again. And that was all they could get out of him for a long time. So they took him and laid him out of the way on the drawing room sofa with a drink at his elbow, and they went back to their dark business. Excitable little fellow, said Gandalf as they sat down again. Gets funny queer fits, but he is one of the best. One of the best, as fierce as a dragon in a pinch. If you have ever seen a dragon in a pinch, you will realize that this was only poetical exaggeration applied to any hobbit. Even to old Took's great-grand-uncle Bullroarer, who was so huge, for a hobbit, that he could ride a horse. He charged the ranks of the goblins of Mount Graham in the Battle of the Green Fields and knocked their king Gul 
Oh, boy. Gotham Bull's head clean off with a wooden club. It sailed a hundred yards through the air and went down a rabbit hole. And in this way, the battle was won, and the game of golf was invented in the same moment. That... <laughs> that didn't have anything to do with the story. <laughs> it has nothing to do with just going on an adventure with dwarves and a hobbit. But it's such a great little aside from the narrator because the narrator wants you to know that the narrator is just gonna sneak it in there as they are also providing just a little extra bit of world building detail like yes this world is not quite so different they have golf there too <laughs> and this is where how it came about <laughs> and it's just such a neat little aside and when you can imagine an adult sharing this with children you could imagine that that it's that kind of little aside, that little choice of detail that will help you make sure your listeners are paying attention. What's golf got to do with this? <laughs> so this is our narrator. Our narrator is a character and our narrator is not afraid to share what the narrator wants to share, but they are also keen on telling a story. They are keen on making these characters unique, making their interactions unique, so that your listeners, your young listeners, your young readers are intrigued by what's going on. Plus, we also need to keep in mind here, I mean, children, we're, we're often telling children very early on, you know, that they got to be polite and they need to have their manners and they need to do what's polite. And all adults need to do polite things. And everybody's got to be polite, 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 polite. And the narrator, knowing this full well, kind of spins that notion on its head as well. Because when Gandalf first, first meets Bilbo, uh, and I, I should say not first meets Bilbo, but when, Ga when Bilbo and Gandalf first come together in the story. Bilbo is trying to use manners in the way they are intended and hiding his actual feelings on the subject. And when Gandalf is very blunt with him, Bilbo does not know what to do with himself and lets sort of his inner self slip a little bit. So I'm going back towards, oh, this is close to the beginning of the chapter, close to the beginning of the book. <clears throat> this is page six. <clears throat> or actually, no, no, page five. Sorry. My mistake. All right. So we have Bilbo sitting outside, getting ready to enjoy a morning pipe. All that the unsuspecting Bilbo saw that morning was an old man with a staff. He had a tall pointed blue hat, a long gray cloak, a silver scarf over which his long white beard hung down below his waist and immense black boots. Good morning, said Bilbo, and he meant it. The sun was shining and the grass was very green. But Gandalf looked out at him from under long bushy eyebrows that struck out, stuck out further than the brim of his shady hat. What do you mean, he said. Do you wish me a good morning, or mean that it is a good morning, whether I want it or not, or that you feel good this morning, or that it is a morning to be good on? Uh, all of them at once, said Bilbo, and a very fine morning for a pipe of tobacco out of doors into the bargain. If you have a pipe about you, sit down and have a fill of mine. There's no hurry. We have all the day before us. 
Then Bilbo sat down on a seat by his door, crossed his legs, and blew out a beautiful gray ring of smoke that sailed up into the air without breaking and floated away over the hill. Very pretty, said Gandalf, but I have no time to blow smoke rings this morning. I am looking for someone to share in an adventure that I am arranging, and it's very dif difficult to find anyone. Well, I should think so in these parts. We are plain, quiet folk, and I have no use for adventures. Nasty, disturbing, uncomfortable things make you late for dinner. I can't think what anybody sees than them, so our Mr. Baggins, and stuck one thumb behind his braces and blew out another, even bigger, smoke ring. Then he took out his morning letters and began to read, pretending to take no more notice of the old man. He had decided that he was not quite his sort and wanted him to go away. But the old man did not move. He stood leaning on his stick and gazing at the hobbit without saying anything, till Bilbo got quite uncomfortable and even a little cross. Good morning, he said at last. We don't want any adventures here, thank you. You might try over the hill or across the water. By this he meant that the conversation was at an end. What a lot of good thing a lot a lot of things you use good morning for, said Gandalf. Now you mean that you want to get rid of me, and that won't be good till I move off. Not at all, not at all, my dear sir. Let me let me see, I don't think I know your name. Yes, yes, my dear sir, and I do know your name, Mr. Bilbo Baggins. And you do know my name, though you don't remember that I belong to it. I am Gandalf, and Gandalf means me. To think that I should have lived to be good-morninged by a belladonna took son, as if I was selling buttons at the door. Gandalf! Gandalf, good gracious me, not the wandering wizard that... And he goes through a whole list of things he's heard Gandalf say. But we get to a little great slip here. Not the Gandalf who is responsible for so many quiet lads and lasses going off into the blue for mad adventures. Anything from climbing trees to visiting elves or sailing in ships, sailing to other shores. Bless me, life used to be quite inter... I... I mean, you used to upset things badly in these parts once upon a time. I beg your pardon, but I had no idea you were still in business. <laughs> and it goes on. It's wonderful. Oh, and again, I understand that such is a book that is not for everyone, for there is lots of detail. There's lots of singing, and there's lots of poetry, and there's all there's lots of all the things in The Hobbit and then, you know, Lord of the Rings. But the point I really love here, and I think this is something that any writer can take to heart, is that your narrator can have a voice, can be a character in the story. Yeah, they're telling everything that's going on, but your, your narrator is also a part of this because it's through their word choices, through their uh, use of imagery through their um, selection of events that readers are getting the story. They, they are the lens, that narrator. And sometimes if your narrator has a little bit of commentary, why not share it? If your narrator has a little aside, why not share it? Because your narrator has a personality too. And when we have a book not only brimming with neat characters that we are witnessing in their actions and in the plot and what have you, but also a storyteller with their own ideas, with their own take on things. It's, 
it makes the story itself so much richer, so much more unique. And for those who just, who are, who as picky readers may not feel they have time to invest in something as dense as The Hobbit, I understand. But perhaps consider listening to it for the word choices, the details, I mean, the, just the descriptive language is so very, very unique for not only can we as adults see it, again, this is a story meant to tell the children. And so the details and the descriptions are also things that young ones understand as well. And that's part of what has made this story so timeless. So I hope you will take at least a little sip, whether through an audiobook or through reading. And my fellow working writers, I do hope that you see something amazing in the potential of a narrator who is as just as unique as the characters in the story. Until next week, read on, share on, and write on, my friends. <laughs>